Well, we're going to go ahead and jump right into uh, our lesson. Started a series called Revolution a few weeks ago, and we want to continue on with that. We've gone through a revolutionary uh, lives a life of sacrifice, and a revolutionary um, has a warrior's heart. And this morning we're going to be talking about a revolutionary has an uncommon commitment to the cause. So just a little intro for those of you that were not here the last couple of times or those of you that have slept since then. What is revolution? Revolution simply is a far-reaching and drastic change in ideas and methods. A fundamental change in the way that we think about a subject. God is always working on us not to change necessarily what we think, but how we think. And when He changes how we think, it will affect what we think. Our foundational scripture for the series is Romans 12, 2, which is up here now, right? Okay, just making sure. They're good back there. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't copy the customs and the behaviors of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. So we're going to change the way that we think. We're going to change the way that we think. Amen? All right. So to be a revolutionary, you must have an uncommon commitment to the cause. In 1972, how many of you were alive in 1972? There you go. I was just a wee little child. But I was alive in 1972. That's 27 years after the end of World War II. There was a Japanese soldier that was discovered on the island of Guam still waiting for orders to abandon his post. Two years later, there was another Japanese soldier discovered on a Philippine island still defending his post. Here comes the big one. In 2005, 60 years, 60 years after the end of the war, there were two Japanese soldiers, now 87 and 85, found on the Pacific island of Mindanao, refusing to abandon their post. 87. 60 years. That's an uncommon commitment to the cause. Would you agree? Amen. We just want old people to get out of our lane so we can drive faster. Right? And these guys refused to give up the war. They had had no orders in 60 years. But the last order they had received, they were still living on. And we want to run around and find a new word all the time. Give me a word. Give me a word. What about the last word that you got? 
Do you have an uncommon commitment to the things that the Lord is calling you and asking you to do? So if they can have an uncommon commitment to a, a kingdom here on the earth, we should have a much more, a much deeper commitment to the kingdom of God. And I'm going to give you, over the next few minutes, everybody cringes every time I say that, five, say five, five ways to live out uncommon commitment to the kingdom of God. Five ways to live out uncommon commitment to the kingdom of God. If you would like to follow along with me, we are going to be in Luke chapter 19. That's where we're taking this, uh, this lesson from. If you've got a Bible that has pages, you can turn there. If you're using your phone or your iPad, or for those of you that just go, you know what, it is too much work for me to carry a Bible. <laughs> Don't know if I can handle that. Now, I really don't want to pull my phone out either. It's going to be right up here. Okay? I got you covered. Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 12. It says, A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. And that's about a hundred days wages. One mina is about a hundred days wages. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. The King James Version says, occupy until I return. So the king is telling his servants, I'm going to go away for a little while and while I'm gone, you're going to take care of kingdom business. So first of all, here's number one. Recognize the king has given you everything that you need to succeed already. The king gave them the mission. The mission was to do kingdom business. He gave them the authority, do it in my name. And he gave them the provision that it was going to take to make sure it happened. God never calls you to anything that he has not already provided for. Just because you can't see it right in front of your face right now makes absolutely no difference. God always provides. God always goes ahead of us to make sure that we're going to be a success. So much so, he's already defeated the enemy for you. He has already put him underneath your feet. And he has said, I'm going to go away for a little while, but you carry on kingdom business. You have everything that you need to fulfill the call of God on your life. And if you're sitting here going, well, that would be cool if I had a call of God on my life. Please get out of that old thinking that only the guys that get to stand on the stage have a call of God on their life. If you are in the kingdom, you have a call of God on your life. Amen. And everything that you need has already been provided now, when I was in high school, which this month, this very month celebrates 30 years. Can you believe that? 
I know you're sitting out there going, man, you look young for a guy that old. <laughs> when I was in high school, when I was playing football in high school, we had, we had these coaches, nice enough guys, but there's a reason that we lost every game my senior year. One of the reasons that we lost every game was because they could not call plays correctly. Now let me explain this to you for those of you that have never played organized football. When the play comes into the huddle, it tells you five things. It tells the offensive line how to line up. It tells the receivers where they're to line up. It tells the backs where to line up. It tells you whether it's going to be a pass play or a run play, and it tells you the snap count. So, all of that information has to come to that football player or something's going to go wrong. I can't tell you how many times a play would come in from the sideline that had the wrong formation for the play that they were calling. In other words, they would call a play where all of the linemen were supposed to block to one way, but the back was going this way. That could cause a problem, couldn't it? Now, at the height of, of their inability to call plays, there was this moment in the last two minutes of a game we would run what's called the hurry-up offense. And in our hurry-up offense, we didn't huddle up. They didn't call the whole play. What they would do is just say the last number at the end of the play, and everybody knew what to do. In other words, if we were going to run a play that would say strong side right, 70 pass, the quarterback would just yell out zero, 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 zero. Well, there was a moment in the last two minutes of a game where the quarterback is yelling out, zero, zero, zero. So 10 guys on the offensive side of the ball thought one thing. The problem is quarterback had run over to the coach real quick and the coach said, run a quarterback sneak. I'll give you one guess what the call for a quarterback sneak is. Zero. Zero. So the quarterback came back out, and he's yelling, zero, zero, zero. Ten of us heard, strong side right 70 pass. He was thinking, quarterback sneak. And if you have no clue what I'm talking about, this is what happened. The ball is snapped. The receivers start to run their routes. The offensive linemen do this wonderful thing called pass blocking. They take a step back, and they're blocking. Well, right about the time they take a step back to block, that quarterback goes running right up the middle. And there was about seven guys right there who were not being blocked. All of their defensive line and all of their linebackers right there. Needless to say, it was not pretty. So the quarterback got hurt. I mean, really hurt. They had to stop the game and carry him off the field. <laughs> and the offensive line coach came running out on the field and he's yelling at the offensive line, look at you, what's wrong with you? You got your quarterback hurt. And I'm sitting there thinking, you guys called the play. You don't even know your own offense. And why did I tell that whole story? 
God always calls the right play. Don't ever fall into that place just because you can't see it thinking God has called the wrong play. God knows exactly what he's doing. He's never going to deviate from the game plan. He's always going to call the exact right play. And he's calling it for you, your family, and this church. We don't have to be like those offensive linemen. Every time they called the wrong formation, I would watch them. They would stop and get in a huddle and have to figure out really where they were supposed to line up. We don't have to do that. We don't have to second guess God. In fact, when we start second guessing God is when we get in trouble. Run the play as it's called. Amen? All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, out of the New Living Translation, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought... We would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Well, that's a great testimony, isn't it? <laughs> you ever get around people like that? That's all they want to talk about is how God's crushing them and breaking them up and messing them up. Even when God calls a play and it seems like it's not going right. Even when it seems like you're being crushed. Even when it seems like, I don't think we're going to live through this. Read the rest of the scripture. It goes on to say, in fact, we expected to die. But as a result, as a result of what? As a result of going through this. We stopped relying on ourselves. Here's a point for a lot of us. It's not one of my points that I've got written down here. You need to stop relying on yourself. You need to stop thinking you can do it yourself. You need to stop trying to figure this out yourself because only God can do it. He knows the play. He knows the next play. He knows the next play after that. He knows the end from the beginning. We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God, the God who raises the dead. It's one of my favorite scriptures. It's one of those scriptures. It's one of those. Hey, when the enemies come along, you're not going to make this. It's not going to work. You're never going to survive. You're even going to die in this. That's okay because my God raises the dead. We're going to get through this because God said I'm going to get through this. And even if I did die, guess what? I win. The enemy can't win in this. There's nothing he can do. He cannot win in this. Back to Luke 19, verse 15. When he, speaking of the king, when he returned, having received the kingdom. Here's point number two. Understand the king's coming back. Understand the king is coming back. It may seem like it's taking longer than we thought it was going to, but the king is coming back. The second to the last scripture in the entire Bible says, Behold, I come quickly. And we need to begin to live like he's coming quickly. We need to stop living like, Well, I've got the rest of my life to do anything I want to do for God. No, you don't. 
The king's coming back quickly. The king is going to return. And we need to live our lives in such a way that says, I know my king is coming back. Revelation 19, verses 8 and 9 says, Let us rejoice and be glad, and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the linen is the righteous acts of the saints, or the righteous deeds of the saints. If we're going to live like the king is coming back, we've got to understand we are the bride of Christ. We've got that theologically, right? We are called the bride of Christ in the Bible. Now, does it say, and God held the bride down and forced her to get ready? Doesn't say that, does it? It says the bride made herself ready. In fact, she was allowed to dress herself in fine linen. And that fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. You need to live out your God dream right now. You need to stop waiting on some kind of big door to swing open. You just need to say, I'm living my God dream as far as I can take it today. And if there needs to be a next step, God will open a door. If there needs to be an another road, he'll show me the way. But I'm living my God dream today. I'm living what God has put inside of me today. I'm not waiting till next week, next month, next year when finances get better. Whatever it is that holds us back from being who God has called us to be. We're going to live that dream out right now. Why? Because the king's coming back. The king is coming back. <laughs> back to Luke 19. Still reading in verse 15. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Number three, realize the king is going to hold us accountable for what we've done. The king is going to hold us accountable for what we've accomplished. He left us here to do kingdom business. He left us here to do kingdom business. And at the end of time, he's going to ask us, where's my mina? What have you done? Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were open. Then another book was opened which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. We will be judged according to what we have done. Even those whose names were written in the book of life. Our names are written in the book of life when we come into this love relationship with Jesus. But that's not the end of the story. He left us here to do kingdom business. And we need to be about our Father's business. And we will be judged according to what we have done or not done 
according to what he's called you to do. And we need to wake up to that. We need to recognize that. I'm not just sitting here occupying space. I have a purpose. And I need to be about that purpose right now. A real connection with Jesus will show up in the things that we do. Will show up in our deeds. That's why James said, stop just talking about being a Christian. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Stop just saying you're a Christian. Live like you're a Christian. Because faith without corresponding deeds is dead. It's not alive. It's not alive. I don't want to stand before the Lord and He said, you know, your faith is dead. You know, you've not done anything that I've really asked you to do. Well, that won't make me feel good. Well, guess what? When we stand before the Lord, there's probably not one of those safe zones that they have on college campuses now where I can go and hide and feel good about myself and nobody can say anything ugly to me. When you're standing before God, He wants to talk about what's going on. And He wants to talk about, according to the things that He has called you and asked you to do, what have we accomplished? I heard a man tell a testimony one time. He was struck by lightning, died, went to heaven. And when he came up before the Lord, the Lord didn't say to him, Now, did you ask me to come into your heart? You know what he asked him? He said, Did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? And he said he looked around and he saw people surrounded by what they loved in life. And one of the guys there was surrounded by a good track of lawn. I'm going to tell you something right now. I am not missing God for yard work. Okay? So anybody ever comes to my house and says, wow, you got quite a yard there. I am serving Jesus, okay? I am serving my Lord. I don't have time to mow the yard. I don't have time to fix all those nasty bushes. I don't have time for it. I'm serving Jesus. Are you learning to love? The Lord sent this man back. He said, go learn to love. We don't all get a second chance. Are you learning to love? John 13, 5 says, By this people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Are we learning to love? Not, that, not just those that sit next to us in church. Are we learning to love? You are all the Jesus some people are going to get. You are all the Jesus that some people are going to see on your job, in your school. You're all. And I'm not saying that to put any pressure or weight on you, but you need to be like Jesus. You need to be showing Jesus. 
I was reminded the other day of when I was first coming into, into my Jesus walk. How we went around and started visiting uh, some, some other people. And we ran into a girl that I had gone to high school with. And I started talking about Jesus, started talking about church, and her reaction was, you go to church? You go to church? So I don't know, it's like either, I want to go to that church, or I don't want to go to that church. It was, I don't want to go to that church. Are we learning to love? Are we really learning to love? Because that's what counts. And if we're learning to love, guess what? We become very unselfish. Because we, we hear all the time, well, I just, I wouldn't know what to say to them. It would make me feel awkward. How awkward is it going to be for that person to go to hell? I mean, let's, let's, just, let's just get honest. How awkward is it for, for somebody to continue to live their life in bondage because I felt awkward? Because I was afraid to say something. Lord smacked me around a couple of weeks ago because he was wanting me to say something that I wasn't wanting to say and he and I were arguing and wrestling and I got really upset with him and, and I couldn't figure out why I was so upset and the Lord says, because you're more concerned about what they think about you than what I think about you. Whack. I didn't like that. But he was right. He was right. I was more concerned about what people would think about me than what the Lord thought about me. And I wanted to get back in line with what the Lord was saying. Amen. All right, moving on. Back to Luke 19. In verse 16, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in the very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you shall be over five cities. Number four. Receive your reward. Receive your reward. It seems like this one would be easy, but there are people that do not know how to live blessed by God. There are people that live under the impression that, that to be humble, I have to be broke and have nothing. There are people that do not understand that our God loves his kids and wants to see them do well. Now, obviously, we have, we have kids that take it the other direction, too, and they're spoiled brats, and God, gimme, 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 gimme. But we need to know how to receive from our God. We need to know how to receive life health, freedom, goodness from our God. It's like sometimes 
God comes along and He just unlocks that jail cell that we've, we've been sitting in. And He flings the door wide open. Yet we still sit in the cell. I read the story one time about a circus bear who had been kept on a six-foot chain all of his life. And some people came along and bought the bear because they thought it was cruel the way that he was living. And they set the bear free. But the bear was so used to only having those six feet that he could walk that even though the chains had been removed, he still never moved beyond the six feet. And sometimes we're like that. God comes along and He radically changes us. I have sat with people and you know that they're receiving Jesus by the amount of mucus that is coming out of their nose. And God is setting them free and they're going, I've never seen it that way. I've never heard it that way. This is so awesome. This is so awesome. This is so awesome. And then you talk to them a couple of weeks later and they're like, well, I don't know. What happened to the snot? What happened? They're so used to living in bondage that freedom sometimes scares them. But freedom's better. God paid a high price for you to have everything that you need. I read a story one time. It's probably an apocryphal story. That's made up for you uh, public school students. This story of a man around the turn of the century, uh, the last century, somewhere around the, the 1900s, early 1900s, there was a man from the old country. What old country? Just insert one. We'll say Ireland for the fun of it. And this, this, this man was poor. But he'd heard about this place called America where you can go and that, that, that people are free. And he, he worked for a couple of years and he saved up his money to buy passage on a ship going across the ocean. And he was so excited. And the day finally came when, when, when the ship was pulling out. And being poor, he's like, all I have is enough money to, to buy my passage. I don't have money to pay for, for, for food and luxuries while I'm on the ship. So I'm going to take a little cheese and a loaf of bread with me. So he gets on the ship to make this long journey over to America. And after a couple of days of eating his cheese and bread, he's out. Well, I know I will be there sooner or later. Sooner or later, I'll be there. It'll be good. It'll be good. I, I can live through this for the, you know, for the next week not having any food. After a couple of days, he's really, really hungry. And he would go down and he would look in the dining hall with everybody eating. He'd put his face up to the glass and probably scare people, but he's looking in there longing for what they have. Just some food. But he keeps telling himself, you know, it'll, it'll be over soon. It'll be over soon. It'll be over soon. And they finally, 
the, the ship pulls into New York City. Everybody's disembarking. The captain comes out and he's shaking everybody's hand as they're leaving. And finally this man who thought so little of himself that he just needed to be in the back anyway. And he's the last man that's going to get off the ship. And as he comes up, the captain looks at him and says, Sir, I don't believe I've met you. And he shakes his hand. He goes, I don't know why I never saw you in, in the, the dining hall. And the man said, shame all over him. Well, I didn't have enough money. All I had was enough money to buy my ticket. I didn't have money for food. And the captain, shocked, looked at him and said, I am so sorry, sir, that nobody ever explained to you everything was included. Everything was included. And here we live our lives sometimes with this, some glad morning, I'll fly away. And I'm glad that we will. Thank God. Thank God. But guess what? It may be a long passage over to the other side. It may be a long passage to the other side. And we don't have to sit there and stare and wish that we had what others had. God has already provided. Receive your reward here. God has things provided for you here. Receive them. Freedom, health, life. Receive them here. Receive them here. And we'll finish with this one. Back to Luke 19. In verse 20. Then another came, saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you. I was afraid of you. Here's number five. Refuse fear. Refuse fear. 1 John 4, 8. 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Let me just say to you, if you're afraid of our king, you're serving the wrong king. He loves you. He cares about you. See, what has happened is the world has created a God in their own image. A God that is vengeful. Why? Because we would be. A God that would knock somebody around. Why? Because that's what we would do. But that's not our God. We do not have to live in fear of punishment from our God. He sent Jesus to take the punishment. He sent Jesus to take the punishment. Now we just live in the freedom of everything that Jesus has purchased for us. So how do we bring this all together? Here's how NCC can help you live these five things real quickly. 
Because we recognize the King has given you everything to succeed. We want you to recognize that. And that's why we're really big on discipleship. I want you saved and in the kingdom. That's the most important thing ever. I want you saved and in the kingdom. But after that, we refuse to let you just stay a baby forever and ever. We want to see you discipled. And we have several ways that we can do that, but one of the greatest ways that, that, that we disciple is through covenant groups. <laughs> through covenant groups. There's a covenant group fair that's about to go on. And this isn't intended to be just an advertisement for, for covenant groups, but you need to be a part of a group. That's where that community is built. That community that we talk about, that we're building a community so people can connect with God and others. Community is built in covenant groups. Discipleship happens in covenant groups. The leadership skills and abilities in you are called out in covenant groups. So partake. Please partake. We help you remember that the king is coming. The king is returning. How do we do that? Every Sunday we come together and we preach about Jesus. Sundays are important. Sundays are important. I, I know how it's become in our society that, that we, we just don't hit church every week like we used to. And I understand that there are times when things are going to happen that you're just not going to be able to be here. But we don't come together just so one of the pastors will have a group of people that will listen to them for a while. We come together to sow the Word of God into your heart and into your life and to stir up the expectation that, that's already in there for God to do something through you and with you. That's why Sundays are important. You come get stirred. Come get stirred. Come worship with us. Come be stirred. We realize that the King will hold you accountable for using gifts. And at the very basic place where you can begin to use that gift is being a part of the dream team. We want you to grow. We want you to grow. I don't think anybody ever got saved and said, I'm called to be an usher. But you know what? We've got some great ushers. And you know what? That leadership ability that God has put inside of you starts when we serve. Save people. Serve people. Saved people. Serve people. So we come on Sundays for you to be poured into, but at the same time, Sunday's not about you. Sundays is about serving those people that are coming through the doors. Sundays is about the people that are not here yet. If you're not serving on the dream team, we want you to. 
There are things that the church needs, yes, but it's, it's the entryway. It's the doorway to seeing your gifts, talents, and abilities used in the kingdom of God and used in this part of the kingdom that we call New Covenant Church. We need you. We need you. We want you to receive your reward. And just like these guys in the story, they received their reward when they were honorable and obeyed what the king had told them to do. And if you really want to get down to it, they were talking about money. This whole story is about being faithful and honorable with money. And people come and they say, will you pray for me? I'm having financial difficulty. It would be unloving if we didn't say, well, are you tithing? Well, I can't afford that right now. Let me love you in Jesus' name. Scripture tells us that if, if we're not tithing, we are robbing God. Nobody wants to be robbing God, do we? We don't want to be robbing God. It's not that God just needs our money. It's not that God is trying to steal from you. God is trying to set you free to live in the blessings. It is important that we are faithful and honorable with our finances. Very important. Because God wants to break us free from the last thing, fear. Fear. We help you identify why you fear and show you how to refuse it through freedom ministry. Now this, once again, was not an advertisement for the ministries that we do in the church, but I just hit five of the biggest things that we do in the church. Do not live in a place of bondage. Do not live in a place of fear. When there are people who are trained to help you break that. But sometimes we're just a little too proud of ourselves. Well, I couldn't tell them I was dealing with this. I've dealt with it. I used to tell the teenagers, there's nothing you're going to tell me that's going to shock me because I've probably done it twice. Be free to be who God has called you to be. Be free to be that revolutionary person who is absolutely committed to the things of God in your own heart and in your own life. And if you do that, you know what? It's going to change your family. It's going to change this church. It's going to change our city. You, take your finger. Everybody do this. Take your finger. Point it right here. Say, me. Me. Me be free. Me be who God has called me to be. <laughs> me. I'm not up here trying to throw it all off on you. Me. You be who you're called to be. I'll be who I'm called to be. And let's shake hell until they're screaming for relief. Amen. Would you stand up with me? There is a revolution going on. There is a revolution going on. God has called us to be revolutionaries. 
It's already in your spirit. If you were born again, if you have come into this love relationship with Jesus Christ, it's already in your spirit. It's already in your spirit. Now God just wants to call it up and out. Up and out, up and out. I know there are some of you that are just going, going wild for Jesus already. Well, let's be wilder. Let's not let circumstances, let's not let anything keep us from being who God has called us to be. Amen? Amen? Would you bow your heads for just a second? Just a second. You don't mind doing this. We're not doing this to, to be religious. We, we do this because it allows us to, to stop looking at what's going on around us. It's just between me and the Lord. Just me and the Lord. My eyes are closed. I'm not trying to figure out what the person across the way is doing. It's just me and the Lord. As, we, as, as we're here, as we're just in this moment, let's just make a recommitment in our heart to be everything that God has called us to be. No exceptions. I'm telling you, heaven is cheering you on. There's never gonna come a moment where God's going, hey, slow down there, boy. Heaven is cheering you on. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never really made that connection with the Lord. You may be saying, yeah, all this sounds good, but I, I really don't have that, that, that love relationship with Jesus that you're talking about. Maybe you've been in church all your life and you know that, that when this life is over, that you're going to be with Jesus. But you just need to say, Lord, stir up the good things in me. Lord, reconnect me to that call. So let's just all do this. Let's just all recommit our hearts to the Lord this morning. If you don't want to, hey, we, we don't have any cameras on you. My eyes are closed too. I'm not looking for, for the person who's going, I'm not closing my eyes. Let's just pray this prayer. Would you pray it with me? Lord Jesus. I need you. I cannot do this on my own. I've proven that. Come into my life. Change my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Call me to your purposes. And set me on fire for you. I want to be a revolutionary. And I'm committed to the kingdom. In Jesus' name.